While Mara had lost her powers, we were hopeful that things would turn around for the husband and wife duo of Atlantis. What we didn't anticipate was what might come after. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Uh, I moved, so that's why it kind of took a while for us to get to this one. If you're waiting on bated breath to hear what happened to, to people in the Aquaman world. Um, things things happen, real life occurs. But uh, uh, we, we took Joanne with us, and everything's okay. So we still have Joanne as our shot clock. Uh, we have a f- uh, less issues to cover tonight with Aquaman because uh, he came to the end of the Showcase Presents volume that I had. Um, which ended in uh, the October-November issue of 1965. But that's fairly close enough, and I think we can move forward with Aquaman because m- things aren't seemingly going to change as much as the, uh, as they already have, with the last issue of this episode going to be probably the biggest thing that happens to him canonically for quite some time. But uh, some some interesting issues here. There's some interesting character choices that were ha- that are done that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, but you know, they didn't call me in the 1960s to ask whether or not they should do these things. So I, you know, I, I forgive them a little bit. Um, but yeah, there's some stuff that happens in these issues that I was like, that's weird that that wasn't like Aquaman being mind controlled that he would do that. But all right. (laughs) You may forgive them. I broadly don't. (laughs) That's fair. Um, I forgive them for not calling me. I don't forgive them for the decisions. Uh, (laughs) that's more. Uh, but but I suppose we should just uh, jump right into it with Aquaman number nineteen, February nineteen sixty five. So this issue obviously directly follows Aquaman number eighteen, where Mara lost her powers and has been cut off from her home dimension of Jebel. Uh, this issue immediately follows that story with Mara getting a mirror that allows her to look into her old dimension of Jebel and communicate with people from that dimension. And uh, Mara's been acting kind of strange and hostile uh now that she's queen of atlantis and she doesn't get to go out on adventures for some reason with aquaman uh she is strangely aggressive towards aqualad really insistent on getting him to stop bothering her she's more irritable the denizens of atlantis don't like her uh meanwhile as she's going through this really weird character change aquaman is combating a guy who is trying to capture Atlanteans and use them in what is effectively a sea world show um, that breaks I want to say so many human rights violations uh, but you know the UN was still kind of what like 20 years old at this point we weren't really dealing with human rights violations that much beyond the Holocaust so this was bad but Aquaman ever the regal king that he is sacrifices himself presumably, to save the Atlanteans so they could escape. Uh, And when he returns to Atlantis, he returns to see that the Atlanteans are revolting against Mara. Uh, And while he's been gone, this guy named Nikkor, N-I-K-K-O-R, or Nikkor, however we pronounce it, there's no, I guess Nikkor could be it, um, has also traveled through the dimensional portal from Jebel and has been ruling with Mara um, and just making Atlantis just the drizzling shits for everybody, and it's just awful. And <laughs> I have when... heard that phrase before. <laughs> really? oh, that's great. My my brother in law uses it all the time, and I love it. Um, but it's it's terrible and awful. 
And Aquaman comes back and he's like, Mara, what's going on? And who's this Joker? And she's like, I love him. Wait, are you my husband? And he goes, yeah. She's like, wait, I'm suddenly very confused. And Nikor's like, well, that potion that I fed you is kind of wearing off. And now I guess I'm going to try and kill Aquaman and Mara. And the Atlanteans are like, fuck the three of you. You're all banished. And as they are banished and their lives are in danger, Aquaman is like pinned down and hurt and Mara is trying to save him. And Nikor's like, wow, they really do love each other. I guess I'll save the two of you and also explain that I kind of uh, dosed Mara and the Atlanteans will forgive you all and Aquaman will pardon you and this will all go back to the status quo like none of this ever happened. Yeah. And it is... Yeah, it's a long walk for that. I think it's worth noting that, A, this is something I didn't catch on first read. Uh, Not because it's subtle, but just because they don't, it's muddy and they don't do a good job of explaining it. But it's not like he dosed her and that is the cause of all of the problems of the issue. It's like once he got, once he showed up, like before then she was still being petulant and feeling left behind and acting out because mm-hmm. of it. But it, it goes back to status quo, but and antebellum, but it, it's not like everything was the cause of this externality. It, it, right. I don't think it's clear. Right. She was still, she was still being a jerk to everyone up until Nikor came in and Pope and I guess, potioned her into loving him it's really it's a weird hand wavy thing to make you forget that Mara was being a huge punk to everyone and be like oh it was Nikor's fault the whole time not really he wasn't there until like the the end of the the first act and even then it's kind of like yeah Mara was being really mean to Aqualad very strange um Aquaman number 20 April 1965 Aquaman's mentor Kaltor never before seen up until this point, but now we're being told a canonical story about Aquaman Lord that this guy Kaltor helped young Aquaman learn how to swim, communicate with fish, and swim in the ocean, which is really cool. Presumably, in previous information we had, his father was also a part of the situation, but in these scenes with Kaltor, we do not see Aquaman's father, so that's weird, uh, but we're going to ignore that. Kaltor comes to Aquaman and he's like, Hey, I need your help defeating a monster. Um, don't really ask too many questions about it. Just help me kill this thing. And it's like a giant two-headed, you know, discount King Ghidorah uh, sort of a monster. Um, and Aquaman, Aqualad, and Kaltor's daughter find out that the monster itself is actually Kaltor, who's been turning into this creature. And he is trying to get Aquaman to kill the beast because he doesn't want to be the beast anymore. And he thinks that that will end his suffering of turning into this monster and hurting people. Um, Aquaman defeats the creature. And in doing so, it actually breaks the cursed spell, whatever you want to call it, on Kaltor. And he gets to remain his Atlantean self. And that's kind of cool. Um, bonus subplot, Mara's jealous of Kaltor's daughter and how close she is with Aquaman. And it comes to nothing. Because Kaltor's daughter is not interested in Aquaman at all. She's really concerned about her dad. <laughs> I, I gotta add in one thing that I a yes it is 100% Chekhov's gun left up on the mantelpiece it is just wasted pages for the sake of characterizing Mara as being that jealous type uh, now that she's married but also there is a little scene where uh, 
uh, where she and Aqualad are riding on the same seahorse. And there's just that little bit of, oh, the younger teenager is kind of like, golly, like uh, all, the only reward I want is to be here riding with you. And at the same time as she's also positioned as this romantic threat to Mira. And it's just, it, yeah, I know this it's do- unclear. It doesn't stop being the thing I'm about to say doesn't stop being the case these days, but it is maybe more apparent at this time. Uh, the same character, can, the same female character can be uh, a love interest across a really wide age range. Uh, like yeah. she could have been flirted with by uh, Aqualad as the, oh, you're, you're the kid brother age range. Uh, so I'm playful with you, but nothing serious. And then, oh, here's Aquaman and he is the serious attractor. Like the, you know how now there's the, like the, the formula for what is the acceptable age range to date based off of your mm-hmm. age range or your age? Uh, that range just, the, the variables are much wider in this era and in these kinds of stories. Yeah. Cause if we really think about it, Arthur's like 30 and Aqualad Garfield or actually no Garth Garth is let's be generous and say 14 between 14 and 16. I I think 14 is generous. Um, He's old enough to hang with the teen Titans Mm. old enough to be going to school Presumably in high school. I'm going to say he's anywhere between 14 and 16. He's a little older than Robin. Speedy is older than all of them. Yeah. And so is Kid Flash. So there's an age discrepancy there. Point being, that's like a 15-year age range that this woman can be. She's old enough to be a perceived romantic interest for the adult man. In his 30s. To be a threat to the adult woman married to the king of Atlantis. Let's be understanding of the 1960s sensibilities and say that that was probably meaning that she's anywhere between 17 and 18 years old. At at the youngest. Let's be hopeful and say she's like between 26 and 30. That's still way too old for Aqualad. So was 17 and 18. 17 and 18 is way too young for Aquaman. And I would say even a 26-year-old woman would be kind of a weirdly inappropriate thing oh, yeah. for, a, for him to kind of be, one, romantically trying to woo during a moment. Again, this is all time and place. Her father is dying. <laughs> like, there's so much time and place in the situation that it feels weird for Mara to be like, like, look... If there was part of a plot point where they were like, oh, no, Kaltor's uh, daughter and Aquaman are also old friends from when he was a kid. And they established they are very, they're platonic friends because she helped teach him. That would add more nuance and depth to their relationship yeah. being close. And would explain why Mara might be a little bit more jealous because he has this history with her. Other than just knowing that she exists, we see no real relationship between Kaltor's daughter and Aquaman. And I'm saying Kaltor's daughter because for the life of me, it's her her name isn't in my notes and I can't remember it. Starine. It's Darine. Uh Starine. Yeah. Starine. 
So there's no real buildup of a relationship between Aquaman just being comforting to Starine. And like, there's some really genuine moments where he's like, I'm really sorry. And he like kind of hugs her and she leans into him and he provides her genuine comfort. That's really cool. And I think would have been an interesting thing to develop to show like, yeah, they're friends from like a long time. This could have been like a, like a Lana Lang Clark Kent thing, but it was even without that, without any of that context, it's just this dude hugging someone who's crying about her dad dying and Mara can't compute that human compassion and immediately sees that as romantic competition. The way that they're writing Mara is so unfair mm. compared to how they had, had been writing her to sell her on the audience and to get her over. It's very much like Mara in NXT was everything from Aquaman 1 to Aquaman number 19. Mm -hmm. Is just a better character, better written, way cooler, way more satisfying to watch, very awesome, way over with the reader. Anything beyond issues 18 through 19 is just like, oh, she went to the main roster and Vince McMahon hates women wrestlers. Yeah. So Mara's character is completely now just a harpy. She's only a romantic interest. She hardly fights at all anymore. She's just there to be a torch passed between men. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like it is such an unfair evolution of her character when she was the one that Aquaman's like, yo, if Mara can't beat this guy, we're fucked. Like Aquaman himself saying that she was a force to be reckoned with. And now she's just like, I hate being here and everyone's trying to steal my man. Yeah, it really does feel like, I mean, it feels lazy. It feels like yeah. what is the uh, what is the simplest way of uh, having a character moment? Okay, woman and jealous. Boom. Yeah, feels like Stan Lee writing any woman. I'm looking at you, Jean Grey, early <laughs> X-Men. Uh, Aquaman number 21, June 1965. Aquaman is weird. This is something I, it was so weird I had to call this out in my notes. Aquaman's like weirdly physically rough when reprimanding Aqualad for talking shit yeah. about him. And it never is explained. Yep. <laughs> like I thought that was going to be like, it was so out of character that I thought that they were going to be like, Oh, it's like a red kryptonite thing. Like something is happening to Aquaman. That's making him physically abusive to Aqualad. <laughs> and I was like, Oh shit. Like what the fuck is this? And it's not just the right. It's not just Aquaman. Like, the writers have it out for these characters. Like there's yeah. Mira character assassination. There's the, the writers ha putting the words in Aqualad's mouth. And I know that's all writers do like, but like the <laughs> writers sure are choosing do, yeah. to, to, to set Aqualad up for a fall and have him be like, Oh, Aquaman's whipped. It's like, what? Or, it is bananas. Yeah, that's the joke. The joke is Aqualad is making fun of Aquaman being whipped to Mara, to some other Atlantean boys. Aquaman sees this, whaps Aqualad on the back of the head and kicks him in the butt and then like kind of yells at him. And I was so shocked by that. I was like, oh, this is clearly the thing that is amiss in this issue is Aquaman being physically violent to his surrogate son <laughs> and, and you know it's a little like <laughs> clue that i didn't notice at the time but i'm looking at a picture now uh so it like he's knocking a fake crown off of uh aqualad's head and it's not like 
you can imagine like your father figure or older brother like walking up behind you and doing like the thunk uh like upside yeah. the head kind of like hey like cut it out or knocking something off like knocking your hat off like that this is actually it's angled down like his hand it's doing like a swipe from up top to down low and his his hand ends up like palm down like he is smacking him like smacking him on the back of the head like going down instead of like a thunk what are you doing yeah, it is much more aggressive. Yep. It is an active, it's an act of violence as opposed to like a reprimand or a soft like, hey, knock it off. Yep. You know, like it, it is much more than a nudge. It is a, it's a, it's a bop. He hits him on the head. Yep. And I know we're harping on this, but it's just so weird because any superhero with a sidekick at this time has never done anything like this in any of the stories that we've read. Not green arrow not batman not superman not the flash nobody has done this to their sidekick it is so weird to see i would have 100 percent expected this out of green arrow with his relationship with speedy is largely co-worker based mm-hmm. and less so i've taken you in because speedy's whole thing is i had to prove myself to be yeah. your sidekick and you were a huge dick to me for a while about it because you didn't believe me like their their relationship is largely antagonistic and work related not like bruce and dick or uh barry and wally or even arthur and and garth this was just so out of nowhere i was like what the fuck and then it's never talked about ever again it's never brought up it's believed to be a justifiable thing that he does (laughs) it's so weird so i have to ask is the writer the same for all of these? Because DC Wikia doesn't have information. Let me get my book. All right. Showcase Presents Aquaman Volume 2 says... Uh, all the cover art is done by Nick Cardi, unless otherwise noted. Um, so let's see. Like Aquaman number 7 is Jack Miller. Jack Miller for a good... Uh, we had Dave Wood occasionally... Um, Jack Miller, Jack Miller, Jack Miller, Bob Haney a couple times here, Jack Miller, Jack Miller. But let's look at Aquaman number 21. The writer is unknown. Huh. Even in the Showcase Presents volume. Huh. There are multiple unknown writers here. Every one of these issues that we're about to cover, all unknown. That makes me feel a little bit better because it it wasn't these issues this are so bad. wildly inconsistent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I absolutely agree with you. That's fascinating. That's some. <laughs> that's some. We don't want you to know who fucking wrote these kind of shit. Like yeah. that's maybe the editor wrote them and they're really bad and the response is not good. Anyway, Aquaman beats Aqualad. That's the. <laughs> That's not the whole issue, but that's just the start of it. The rest of the issue is uh, Professor Brandt, a friend of Aquaman's, makes an uh, enlargening ray, a growth ray, that he's going to use to make plants bigger, to help world hunger, yada yada. Same, what you expect from a good guy scientist, a good guy super scientist. Of course he dies when the growth ray uh, is stolen by the fisherman, who is an aqua man villain he does um, so he aquaman, does come back i don't know i'm just saying he's an aquaman villain because it's the only time we've seen him oh, yeah. um just a guy um but i will say this aquaman gets hit on the head with the growth ray and is 
giganta-sized and turns giant and has to stop the fisherman and his men from stealing things from Atlantis, which is kind of a fun kaiju-sized Aquaman sort of a story, and then it kind of whatever. The best part is the fisherman. Yeah. The fisherman has a really cool outfit, but his head mask is that of a prawn. It is such a weird outfit, and his weapon is a giant fishing rod that he uses, like like a fly fishing rod that he uses like a weapon. I was like, I would absolutely... 100% 100% want to see this guy get a kite man treatment like in Harley Quinn. 100% I would read a fisherman comic. <laughs> so I I feel like as an outsider to Aquaman comics because I, that mm-hmm. is what I am. Uh as soon as I saw a his silhouette a little bit but especially the like sub that he has. It's like, "Oh, this feels like a proto Black Manta character." There is some good, uh, yeah, like I could definitely see that. Like there's some good um, visual theming that is very, like he's got an army of dudes. He's got aquatic stuff. He's kind of a pirate. He's got a giant headpiece helmet mask. Mm-hmm. I absolutely can see how this is a lot of like proto Black Manta stuff. And that's a, that's a, that's a fair call out 100%. But yeah, the fishing rod is, I mean, it's fun, but it's, <laughs> it's so <dorky>. good. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. It's so condiment king. I love it. Um, Aquaman number 22, August 1965. All right. This one's a, this one's a bit of a walk. All right. So Mara's got a twin sister named Hyla. Hyla has found her way to our dimension from Jebel because Hyla has been banished from Jebel because she's a criminal. We're just going to leave it at that. Hyla says that she can go back to Jebel if she proves her innocence by fighting or arresting or getting evidence from this guy named Kandor, who was the guy that effectively framed her. Mara and Aquaman agree to help her. In doing so, they realize that Hyla has sold them out to Kandor. Aquaman is trapped. So is Mara. Hyla books it to Atlantis, pretends to be Mera, and now Kandor is putting Aquaman through trials to try and kill him. One of which is fighting armadillo warriors. Yeah. Which is just bonkers. It's just a bunch of dudes with armadillo armor on their back that kind of turn into balls occasionally and fight Aquaman. And there's no explanation where they come from. They're just there... And he beats them. Meanwhile, Hyla is in, in Atlantis. And the and the citizens are being so nice to her. Because it's apparently Mara's birthday. Which would also mean it's Hyla's birthday. They're being so nice about her birthday. That Hyla sees that Mara is so beloved by Atlantis. She can't go through with pretending to be her. And she needs to return Mara to the Atlanteans. Candor's final trick is to whammy... Mara into working for him similarly to how he did to Hyla so now Mara's evil and Hyla is working with Aquaman to fight Mara and Kandor at some point a switcheroo is played where Hyla pretends to be Mara to get Kandor to zap Mara who he believes uh, is or yeah to, who zaps Mara and gives Mara her powers back no. So now Mara has no. her powers back. That's I don't think that's how the powers come back. 
It's so much oh, worse. That's right. Oh yeah. Go ahead. She just gets the psychic projection from the scientists who are back home and saying, "Hey, we've been trying to reach you ever since Hila uh, reached out and was like, "Hey, I feel bad, and I'm going to go rescue her." Like we figured out how to give you your powers back. Here you go. Yes. And that's it. It's very. That's it. Yeah, it's very Deus Ex Machina. You're absolutely right. She just gets them apropos of nothing in the middle of a moment where she needs them. Yep. And it's stupid. Um, so now Amara has her powers back. She's fighting Hyla. Aquaman's fighting Kandor. Plot twist. The armadillo warriors <laughs> choose now to revolt against Kandor. And Aquaman, Mara, Kandor, and Hyla have to fight the armadillo warriors. And... Effectively, Kandor and Hyla are convinced that they should go home and have the crime that they are accused of dropped so they can return back to Jebel. The biggest thing you really need to know out of this, Mara's got a twin sister. Mara has her powers back. Everything else pretty insubstantial. I don't think Hyla ever comes back, to be honest. Yeah, she doesn't. You don't need to know that first bit. The, it is worth noting that char- a, there is a future in, in the later in continuity, there will be, like, circling back around to this theme or this kind of character. Uh, I think Siren winds up being the name of that later iteration. Uh, to the point, like, when I looked up... Uh, uh, Hyla, like that was what came up of other mm. like other DC versions of this character, but that's a ways out, and they're not the same character. Yeah. Oh boy! All yeah. right, last story for this episode: Aquaman number twenty-three, October nineteen sixty-five. Oh boy! <laughs> Say hello to Aqua Baby, everybody. No. <laughs> okay, this is. Stick with me on this one, folks. Aquaman is called into the bedroom where Mara is laid up sick and an Atlantean doctor is like, Aquaman, good news and bad news. And Aquaman's like, all right, hit me. The doctor's like, good news, your wife is pregnant. Aquaman's like, that's astounding news. The doctor's like, bad news. Because of a problem with your bloodline, both Mara and the child will die during childbirth due to a sickness you have. And he's like, shit the doctor's like there's a way to cure it but the way to cure it's through this like really terrible coral maze that no one's ever come back from and aquaman's like fuck that i'm gonna go get the cure aqualad's like i'm going with you they bounce to get the cure they have to go through this terrifying maze of coral that has sirens and monsters and oh my and at the end they find this dude named Sinquo, who i guess is just like an atlantean sorcerer who'd been banished for pick a number of years and he's been living in this coral maze and when Aquaman finds him he's like dude knock the shit off where's the antidote and Sinko's like you know what man you deserve it here's the antidote and I'm gonna stop being evil and Aquaman's like cool you've been here for probably long enough I'm gonna pardon you (laughs) just cause I feel like this is probably a cruel and unusual punishment Aquaman and Aqualad continue to go back to Atlantis of underwater rock slide happens and pins Aquaman under a mountain of boulders. Using his fish summoning powers, he gets some fish to daisy chain the potion back to Atlantis in enough time for the doctor to give Mara the potion. 
so she can survive and her baby can be born. After Aquaman, like, like literally immediately after Aquaman gets the fish to take the potion, he frees himself and swims to Atlanta so much yep. so that he arrives pretty much when Aqua Baby is born. Mind yep. you, the same day yep. that Aquaman finds out his wife is pregnant, she gives birth. I have questions. <laughs> they don't have answers. What? They don't care about answers. They don't <laughs> want some, answers. This is some Gardner Fox level. Don't worry. The science will explain it. What the fuck is happening? How did Aquaman not know she was pregnant? How did Mara not know she was pregnant? How fast did that fish swim? Or how slowly did they swim for Aquaman to catch up? Pretty much within 10 minutes. What the fuck? This isn't the end of the story, folks. That's the first half. The second half is that Aqua Baby comes out. Everybody's happy. Aqua Baby's great. Aqua Baby has powers. Oh no, really powerful sorcery powers. That's terrifying. So terrifying that they banish Aqua Baby from Atlantis. Mera, not standing to be parted from her son, goes with Aqua Baby, and, Aqu- and Aquaman's like, yeah, this is bullshit. I'm going with my wife and kid too. Figure out who your fucking king is. Aqualad's like, well, guess I'm leaving too, because I'm not staying here by myself. And they all go into the ocean in exile, and <laughs> Aqua Baby defeats the Horax, H-O-R-R-A-K, just a giant army of underwater Wookiees, I guess. Uh, Not wrong. He defeats them with his powers, and uh, his powers basically die out after he defeats the Horax. And they return to Atlantis going like, hey, Aqua Baby doesn't have powers anymore. He used them on the Horax. They're like, oh, so Aqua Baby saved us from an invasion from the Horax who we've been at war with for millennia. Also, he doesn't have powers. I guess you can all come back. Also, Aqua Baby's a hero of Atlantis now. That's the end of the story. That all happens in what I can only assume is a 48-hour period. Yeah. Generously. Yeah. Man. The best thing that happens is Mary gets her powers back, first of all. She kind of regains some of her ability to have some autonomy. However, the issue immediately after granting her powers back grants her the title of mother and caregiver. So now she has to stay home. Like, she can't go on adventures anymore because now she's a mother. Fuck. All right, cool. We lose awesome Mara powers during Aquaman stories, I'm assuming. I don't have a lot of faith in these writers to not do that to her. Um, Barely anything happens for Aqualad other than getting physically assaulted by his mentor. (laughs) And having another Chekhov's gun staying on the mantelpiece moment of being worried about Aquababy, like basically taking his place as Aquaman's friend and a part of Atlantis. Like it. Yep. It's not enough for them just to stuff these stories full of everything it has to be the laziest everything it's the worst type of soap opera drama that also doesn't go anywhere yeah it'd be one thing if these threads actually had something to pull they're just like i pull it and the string comes out oh shit that's a really short thread like it doesn't go anywhere it's never brought back up it doesn't connect anything it's never paid off it's just there it is some of the laziest aquaman we've seen however I did appreciate Mera getting her powers back. Yeah. That did make me genuinely happy because I liked Mera with powers. But yeah, 
not a not a lot of positivity other than that coolness at the end, which is why I was like, these start kind of bad, but I get a little bit happier in the end. Kind of do, but not so much. But also just like things aren't going to be things don't look great for the future of the Aqua Fam. Yeah, I feel like there's an appropriate moment here for a coda. Uh, reminder that I am reading these comics in such a way that I see the ads and such uh, that were in the original printing. And in one of these, I saw a, like, they also advertise, in addition to, like, actual, like, other products, like, they also do ads for other comics that they've got. And running at this time in Showcase is a character called uh, Enemy Ace, uh, who is, uh, let me Try to figure out how to zoom in. One sec. Rittmeister Hans von Hammer, the World War I flying ace, German flying ace, hence the term enemy ace. Uh, uh. And, like, reading it through, it's like... <laughs> I mean, it it is meant to be, like, the angsty, like, killer, but... Killer anti-hero, like, hunter, but noble hunter, etc., and I'm I just just for kicks. I looked it up because I was curious. And there's a sequence here where he's flying in his Fokker airplane to land, and he just hears the plane murmuring to him, "Killer, killer, killer!" <laughs> and it comes into a crash. And as he's walking away, like taking off his cap, just steel face, he hears it saying, "We will fly again. We will kill again." It's just like. Can I read that instead? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would I would rather read the hardcore version of the Red Baron yeah. than this. <laughs> How peacefully he sleeps like a lion after a kill. Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's a... Oh, God. I don't think I got a screenshot of this. But there's a bit where uh, a woman is flirting with him and she says something like, uh, you know, they call you an angel of death. What would it feel like to be kissed by an angel? There is a level of schlocky and grandiose that old comics used to have that I think the closest person to capture that is probably Alan Moore. Yeah. In a less, like... I don't want to say less pretentious because there's some pretension to Alan Moore's work. Oh, yeah. um, pretension also depending on what you read. Like, Watchmen is fairly pretentious, but conceptually, the way that Moore narrates, I would say close to also Denny O'Neill and maybe um, Claremont, narrate in such a way with their narrative boxes or their Greek chorus that is like a documentary crew hmm. following a comic character you know look how peacefully he sleeps after a kill like a lion like it's it, if you read all that shit in David Attenborough's voice it works <laughs> too well oh, fuck you know yeah. and I love that but it's also so hit or miss yeah like, it is time and place. There are certain stories that 100% work with it, and there are some that just do fucking not. And it's, it is a theme 
or as a style of writing. Like, you could, in theory, write everything like that. I would read fucking Challengers of the Unknown if it had that vibe. Oh, yeah. One thousand percent. It would it would kill. But I don't think... This is just me. I don't really think it would work for Green Lantern. It's too dramatic for the high octane of space opera. So I think... I think the thing that's interesting, and I'm going to sort of bend the circle back around a little bit. Uh, it's fascinating to me that I can look at the pieces that are already in place for Green Lantern at this point in time. And I could see like the seeds of being able to do something like that. Something that is tonally different than what we mm-hmm. currently get. And, like, the seeds are there, and I could see it happening. I look at Aquaman right now. I cannot imagine Aquaman stories doing anything interesting or different like that. I can see them being a little more, like, comedic and slapstick in the way that we have. I can see characters being treated with a little bit more gra- a little bit more seriousness, not gravitas, uh, in the way that Mira has been a more serious character in the past. And characters have been a little little bit more pulpy, but I can't imagine from the Aquaman stuff we've read, there being a serious Aquaman story. Yeah. To the level that we have now with the Dan Abnett run or even the Jeff Johns run. Yeah. Dan Abnett's still an Aquaman? He did uh, the New 52. Oh, that was his? Uh, He kicked it off? No, the New New 52 was Jeff Johns. The Rebirth run. Okay was Dan Abnett for like three, four volumes. Huh. I might need he did like to read that. a lot of Aquaman and it was good. It like fleshed out Atlantis, talked about how there were like Atlantean terrorists who were highly against Atlantis and surface world uh, communication and how there were Atlantean terrorists who were like actively trying to stop that. Aquaman's place in the Justice League and how Aquaman is viewed by the surface world. Like, a lot of conversations about that, as well as just, like, digging into Mara's lore and, like, who Mara is and what is Jebel and, like, how Mara fits into this world because, like, the Atlanteans don't like her because the people from Jebel are from a different kingdom. So it's, like, Atlantis is England and Jebel is France. Uh, Aquaman marrying someone from Jebel is, like, a big deal and not an Atlantean. So it's, like, what's going on with her and how she's assimilating and things like that. It's a really good run. Um they, it was very successful uh, for a while. And they also had Stefan Sedgwick doing some art for it for a while. Nice. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, good stuff. Yeah, it was good. It was really good. Um, but yeah, I think to your point, it is hard to see Aquaman evolving from these things. There's nothing here that defines him other than being Aquaman, having Aqualad, and having Mara. There's no common enemy for him to fight. There is no uh, solidity other than the ocean and Atlantis. There's no sense of place. The ocean, where they are in the ocean could be anywhere. Atlantis isn't really real, so you can't be like, it's in the U.S., it's in a different country, it's just the ocean. It could be the Pacific, could be the Atlantic, could be the Indian, could be the Antarctic. We don't know. Like, there are so many ambiguous aspects of his work or his stories that it makes it hard to define him other than, like we always say, the water hobo with a sidekick and a wife now. And it's like, even Martian Manhunter had a sense of place. Yeah. Well, he didn't have common enemies. He still had that thing with his family. There's nothing for Aquaman to do. He has no goal. 
you know, there's no like, I have to get the people of Atlantis to like me, so I have to do like 50 challenges to prove I'm the king. Or uh, there's no constant threat to Atlantis that I have to always be watching for, like Adam Strange did or something like that. It's like even Adam Strange had the solidification of narrative of I have to get back to, to Ram. The constant was the infrequency or the uh, uncertainty of his time on Ram. And that was always a ticking clock on their stories, which grounded them because you knew the rules. This is just like, it could just be fucking anything. We're still unsure of who this character is other than, like, we don't know much about Arthur. Yeah, that's a good point. As a person, we don't know what his relationship with his dad is. Kaltor being a big deal to him in his backstory and being a mentor was the most we've seen about Aquaman's backstory since, like, Aquaman 1 or 2. No conversations about his mom, other than like, oh, by the way, your mom has a sickness in her bloodline that makes it impossible for your wife and child to have to, to survive during childbirth. One, that doesn't make any sense, because it would be, if Aquaman was a woman, then that would have made sense. That malady wouldn't pass on to his wife. What? How, how would a genetic disorder in Aquaman make it hard for his wife to have a child? What the fuck? I presume no. it's something about like the baby puts something out like in, in like the placental interchange or something, but there's no explanation to that. I'm just yeah. Gardner Foxing. Right. There's no real explanation to that. Um, we don't have a, com- we don't have like a couple of issues for Aquan and Mara to be like, Hey, let's try and have a kid. That wasn't an overarching narrative for like three issues or four issues or what have you. You know, it's like, there's nothing going on. It's just, what am I doing today? It's just Monster of the Week. It's just Slice of Life. And that makes it very hard for, like you said, for him to have a defined character for us to see him evolving into anything. I kind of want to lean into this a little bit. And I want to make, first, I want to make sure I didn't cut you off. No. Cool. Uh, Because I was thinking about specifically at the start of Aquaman 20. Mira doesn't go along with uh, Aqualad and Aquaman on a little adventure. Uh, And at the end of Aquaman number 19, like that whole issue where she was uh, a bad queen and very like irritable and cantankerous, maybe uh, it ended with a little stinger of I'm not going to be bored because I'm going to go with you next time you're on go on patrol. Oh, okay, sweetie. Sure. And then the very start of Aquaman 20, she has the opportunity to do that and she doesn't. And that bugged yeah. me a lot. And I had to think about why, because it's like, why is it that that discontinuity hurt me so much? And I thought about it and I think that I bring in, and I think many of us bring in an expectation that the story is a simulation and it's a window. Uh, and what I mean by simulation is both in the in the story, in, in the pages in front of me, I expect that it is internally cohesive. It is all like, okay, like if if the story lays out these elements and the rules of what kind of things can happen, then they will ping pong off each other. And we will, in the way that like a strategy game might take those elements and just, okay, they are acting off of each other and simulating an outcome. And the outcome is the end of the story and everything that happens along with it. Um, it, It's that internal consistency, but also the, 
having a window into the past of it and being able to fill in like, okay, we're just dropping in on them during this block of time between issues in the gutters. There is other stuff going on. Uh, and a, like this discontinuity, uh, rubs up against that. And this, the discontinuity of her not wanting to go along on that little adventure at the start, uh, hurts when there's that or bumps up against when I bring that expectation into the story because hey like I should be seeing I I should have a view into a world that works on in a consistent way in the same way that our world does if this is just a mirror into a world that has a set of rules and a history and a future then it should be behaving that way but it's not that that uh situation this isn't a situation it's a story about a situation it's yeah. not there is no world on the other side it is the writer making choices to tell the best story that they can or more accurately maybe the story that they choose to tell uh right I, we i want to be able to fill in the gaps that's why i i like having the little bits of backstory uh why why uh Caldor or whatever his uh mentor's name is like that's cool but if it's not consistent with everything else then it hurts that view and i genuinely don't know if that view of a comic as like a window into a world is something that's relatively new if that is part of like the wave of fandom or consuming media as fandom like the wickification of things i don't know but i mm. i think i am bringing in that perspective that expectation i can definitely see that as something that would affect the enjoyment of this the it, i think beyond that these just aren't written very well it's also true <laughs> so i think i think you might be unfair to yourself and thinking that you might be expecting certain things out of this that aren't getting but you're not getting I think mainly because these aren't written very well comparatively because um, we've seen other stories that are better than this from different writers and different in the same time period. So I think things that you're looking for do exist that aren't uh, responses to a more contemporary concept of narrative. I think these are just bad writing. Also true. Yeah. You know, because like if you think about like Green Lantern or Challengers or, you know, The Flash, you get, I, I think you get those things that you want out of those. Yes, that's not common because obviously those are the standouts of this era, are those stories. So it's not like everyone's doing them. So, so to your point, that could be the pioneering towards that idea. I think these are just bad. We definitely have seen other writers who cannot land the plane quite as well as John Broom or Fox or anybody like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Truth. All right. I'm just going to rapid fire some things. Uh, sure. That's certainly the bulk of the stuff I wanted to cover. But, hey, like, uh, an interesting reminder, uh, going through these comics, I see an advertisement for an 80-page giant, The Secret or Origins, by popular demand, a super collection of the most sought-after stories ever published. Because, hey... 
people didn't just have like graphic novels of old not old issues that they could go like revisit or buy dc had to actually do like reprints and collections uh we've run into those a couple times in our earlier reading of hey this was reprinted in the silver age but it's a reprint of a golden age story um deus ex machina we talked about that uh it happens a lot a lot of these stories are ending with bad just fiat endings so hey heads up they're bad in that way too yeah i just have so many notes about that but the one other thing i wanted to call out ad wise we're interest and entering an interesting period because a we're seeing a lot of like slot car and model car ads like some stuff of like the monsters car or just like hey here's a cool like yeah, that's a nice looking race car kind of thing. There's also like slot car, like racing slot cars specifically. And it's like, yeah, it's cool. A, a thing that I have only ever seen in a mall. <laughs> but uh, what's also fascinating about it is, remember, mid 60s, we're actually seeing some like counterculture in these ads, like uh, Big Daddy uh, model cars or Cool Cat. And it's like a cartoon cat. <laughs> Uh, it's hmm. interesting to me to see that in there and it like a lot of them feel more 50s than 60s just looking at the style it's it's more beatnik but I mean I guess the ad- advertising is always going to lag behind the most current trends so eh. uh, and also hey what do I know I didn't live through the 60s <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so that that bit of it isn't oh oh no oh no I forgot about a thing Oh, I forgot about a thing. I'm going to try to take a screenshot and share this with you. It's bad. So speaking of uh, maybe these aren't, these might be reprints. I'm actually not sure, but there is an 80 page giant, uh, Lois Lane. uh, There are pictures of uh, like, oh, little snippets of Lois Lane and Superman's other girlfriends. Quote, quote. So you've got mm. uh, Lana Lang, you've got Lori the Mermaid, you've got Cleopatra, and you've got Supergirl. Oh no! Yep. And I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna see if I can drop this into our chat. Nope, don't think I can. So I'm gonna print screen. Cool. Um, what does do you see the image? What does that expression that uh, or what does it look like? They're are they are they like cousins? Are they acting like cousins? I don't like it. I don't like it either. <laughs> it's bad. Uh, he is he has a like a shitting grin on his face, uh, or at least a, no, he's a smirk, and she is just like laying her head on her on his shoulders. It sucks unsubscribe yep (sighs) comics were a mistake (laughs) Uh, i need to i need to figure out like a way to watch that uh that interview in context or whatever it is where miyazaki's saying that about anime (laughs) i do too yeah uh well how about we do some recommendations and, and, and cleanse everybody's palate you know what's not a mistake anime anime rules because there's new gundam out and oh it's yeah. incredibly pretty 
It is incredibly nice. pretty. Uh, so and so, New Gundam, uh, The Witch from Mercury. Uh, it is set in a new like chronology. So they're doing another one of those, another timeline. Uh, it is the first Gundam series to have a, I think, to have a female protagonist. Period. It might be. It, it it might actually be to have a solo female protagonist. I honestly don't know, but hey, like full ass Gundam series to the best of my knowledge, starring female character. It is looking like it's going to be queer. I'm happy. Uh, okay. It is gorgeous, and it's it's laying the groundwork to do some interesting stuff about bodies. Uh, the Gundams in this specific universe are differentiated by being something that you synchronize with uh and hey Mm. like it's the same technology is used in really good interface like prosthetic arms uh and the the scientists who make the gundam system are making the gund format i guess uh are like talking about it hey gundams are basically the bodies that we are building to adapt to the stars to space uh which is like max max stories are about bodies uh and it is interesting to see them going this route uh i'm curious to see where it goes uh and it didn't completely overwhelm me in the first actual episode um so it's cool uh i would i recommend like it's on crunchyroll uh you might even be able to find the uh prologue on youtube there's a time skip between prologue and episode one but yeah it's gorgeous awesome um slightly more lighthearted note watch spy family oh yeah i love it i love spy family it's really cute it's really fun it's very clever i've been enjoying it a whole hell of a lot and season two comes out soon so watch spy family it's fun also watch andor if you haven't oh i've really been enjoying andor i've really been enjoying it a lot i think it's not it's not trying too hard it's not trying to be like, ooh, Star Wars is gritty now. It's very much like, yeah, I mean, Star Wars does happen in a world, in a universe that's Civil War. And like, if you liked Rogue One, you're going to like Andor. Nice. It's a very morally gray, philosophical concept about what fighting is an oppressive regime. And, uh, or what fighting an oppressive regime is. And uh, it's... It's good. I like it a lot. Everyone in it's doing a really great job. I've been enjoying it thoroughly. Uh, but yeah, go watch Spy Family. It's very cute and silly, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, that'll do it for us for this episode. Next episode, it's the Bat. Yes. We're finally reading Batman. Bruce Batman. We haven't read Bruce in quite a while. I'm curious to see what shenanigans have happened between the last printed versions of stuff that we've had and now so we'll probably take some time to refill everybody in on what's going on get what the status quo is at that moment and then jump from there into the 1960s onward so thank you all for listening we hope to see you all next time and uh we love you dc detectives can be found on soundcloud and itunes To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. With the Aqua family now including Aqua Baby, 
we felt we should let the new family acclimate away from our questions. It had been some time, but we knew that we were Gotham-bound. <laughs>